You're listening to Your Credit Today with your host, Angela Setters-Vissard, sponsored by Conquer Credit Management. Hey, 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 hey. What's up, everyone? It's A to the N to the G, Angie B, the real credit queen, whatever you want to call me. I am so happy to be back in effect. We took a couple weeks off because we're working on something so amazing that we're going to bring to you guys which is our financial literacy curriculums. I am so passionate about teaching our youth or our younger generation that credit is an investment tool to build wealth and that financial literacy, real true financial literacy is so important to this next generation. Unfortunately, because we've talked about it so many times in past shows, a lot of this generation is really caught up on apps and clicking buttons and they really don't understand how to do the math, so to speak. So what I want to do is help the younger generation have a vision for their financial portfolio, even at a young age. You can have a financial portfolio, even if you only have $100 a month to spend on incidentals. But let me tell you, it's really important to just have a plan. Because what if we talked about in the past is that we, we don't have a plan then we plan to fail. So let's get on to the show. What we're going to be talking about today is premarital credit. I talk to a lot of couples all the time, and they're really afraid to get married because they think that, uh uh-oh, once I get married, not only am I going to be exposed and my new uh, partner is going to know about my FICO score. So funny, there are so many dating sites out there right now that actually ask you to give them your FICO score. And you know what? I kind of have a lot of respect for that. And the reason being is because your credit equals your habits. And at the end of the day, if you have a really good FICO score, you have a really good credit history to at least a lot of women, that means that you're a responsible human. But at the end of the day, things happen, right? And we can't, unfortunately, uh, forecast the storms that may come in our life. So things will happen, and it's good to be honest and transparent with your soon-to-be spouse. But talking about premarital credit, I get this question a lot. And they ask me, hey, when I get married, does my new partner's credit get merged with mine? And the answer to that question is no. Each of us has our own social security number that you pay taxes with and that your creditors use to approve or deny applications. So you maintain that same social security number throughout your whole life. It's not merged into one social security number that you share. You keep it on your own. And what you're going to be hearing me talk a lot about in this show is how important it is to maintain separate credit identities. And the reason for that is, is that if anything happens, let's say a loss of employment, um, maybe even a loss of a partner, uh, someone gets ill, something happens, it's really important to have the other one to fall back on. Because let's get real, we live in the U.S. And unfortunately, in the U.S., it is extremely important to have a credit history. It's important to have it so that you can rent an apartment, buy a house, get a car, have anything in life. Unfortunately, we have to have credit. Let's get on to the next question. The next question I get a lot is, if my partner has been sued pre-marriage, once we're married, can I also be sued? And the answer is no. If the debt was incurred before marriage, it is premarital debt and the other spouse is innocent. 
as the community property law does not apply in pre-marriage. So these are the kind of questions, unfortunately, that a lot of people don't get into. And I think it's really key and important. And I really love the heart and the spirit of the couples that come together and that I talk to. And just so you know, I do premarital credit counseling. So we sit down, we come up with budgets, we come up with plans. Uh, the spouses get to know each other's spending habits, so to speak, and they come up with a new spending habit. Because listen, once you merge everything with someone else and you're not familiar with their spending habits, and let me tell you, I have seen people that have been together for years and years and years, and they really have never sat down and had this question. Now they've seen and they've thought to them, to themselves, like, Hmm, their spending habits are a little questionable, but they actually never sat down, put a pen to paper and said, hey, you know what? We have aspirations of getting married one day. I want to kind of understand how your mind ticks when it comes to money, because what's the biggest reason for divorce? Money. So if you can handle that situation ahead of time and have a plan together, because listen, marriage is about unity. And what comes in with unity is understanding one another, understanding how the other one ticks. And even if you don't agree with the other person, it's coming up with an agreement plan so that you can be successful in the next step that you're going to take which is marriage. So getting back to what I was saying about in terms of your partner that may have been sued, um, it's really important to just know and understand that specifically if they owe child support, um, if they have a judgment that they've been making payments on, if they have a tax lien that they are in a payment plan on, it's really important that you know and understand that you will not be responsible for any of those payments because all of that debt was incurred before you said, I do. So moving right along, let's talk about the other question that I get quite frequently, and that's student debt. Can I be liable for my new spouse's student loan debt? Now, I'm going to be doing a show on student loans because, wow, I have learned actually so much in the last couple of years about student loans and how it is a rapidly changing industry and how... hmm, I'll use a nice word, but how crazy it is, literally. The interest rates that can be occurred. I was just talking to an individual the other day, and unfortunately, he hadn't paid his student loans in over 25 years. He just kept deferring them, deferring them, deferring them. And now we look and see how much he owes. And guess what, friends? He owes over $175,000 on an original $75,000 debt. Yes, it can get really that crazy. And it's really important to not just defer things. You've got to have a plan. So really, in answer to the question, it's really about sitting down and specifically sitting down with your kids and coming up with a plan. My son just graduated from college and I immediately sat down with him and said, okay, let's make up a plan on how you're going to pay back these student loans. Notice how I said how you're going to pay back those student loans? Oh, yeah, baby. But listen, I made sure through the process while he was going through college and even when he was a young teen to teach him about money, to teach him about understanding that money is a tool 
but we'll get into that show at another time. But really important that you know and understand about your student loans so that they don't come and bite you in that the bootay. So talking about student loan debt, can I be liable, liable for my new spouse's student loan debt? Well, let's talk about it. Liability only follows a finance or rehab, okay? So let's say in that particular instance that I just gave you that my client who hadn't paid his student loans in over 25 years, he just kept deferring them, deferring them, deferring them, and now he's married, his wife's income is now going to take play or precedence in any type of refinance that he would do for his student loans or rehabilitation, okay? So if you have not made a plan to pay off your student loans pre-marriage, then after the marriage, your spouse's income can come into play. And yes, if for some reason at that particular time, um, well, let's actually talk about it. Let's talk about collections and garnishment. And yes, it does happen all the time with student loans. A lot of people think that, oh, I can just continue to defer or put my student loans in forbearance forever and I'll never have to pay them. It could not be further from the truth. We get calls on a daily basis from people that have unfortunately had their bank accounts garnished, they've had their tax returns garnished, and you don't want to wait for the axe at your neck. It's really important to just make a plan because there's a lot of financial uh, repayment plans where you can pay something really small, but you can keep the devil off your back, so to speak, of them coming after your money or coming and garnishing your wages, things of that nature. And listen, garnishing your wages can be embarrassing to some people. You know, I've had a lot of really big executives that call me. They're really upset because now they're having their wages garnished on their student loans and they're really embarrassed because they're a CEO of a company or they're a big executive in a financial firm. So you always want to think ahead of those types of situations. So talking about collections and garnishments, student loan collections or garnishments uh, or judgments can include an order of garnishment from a checking account or a taxpayer's refund, as well as your payroll check being garnished. In most cases, though, you have to understand they will not come after the spouse unless the debt was incurred while the two were married and the debt was co-signed by the other spouse. But in this particular situation that I'm saying, if you're going to refinance them or you're actually going to rehabilitate them, they will take your spouse's income into consideration because it's important in the lending process. So moving right along. So let's talk about a really big subject that I always have conversations with people about, and that's co-signing. Okay, so I know that it can be hard not to co-sign and tough, especially when it's a family member, but it can not only cause a big problem with your financial well-being, like your credit score, but it can also have a strain on your relationship. I've seen so many people that, you know, let's say, Someone is really close to their mother and they want to buy them a car and, uh, you know, they want to allow the mother to make the payments. And then unfortunately, the mother forgets. And, you know, six months later, the car is being repossessed. And now that particular individual has a repossession on their credit report and they're going nine months later to buy a house. They didn't even know that the car was repossessed and boo yow, they can't finance the house 
because their FICO score is so low, because this happened to be a person that doesn't listen to Angela and monitor their credit, because if they were monitoring their credit, they would have known that there were late payments being recorded and reported to their credit history. But in how the really important thing to know and understand about co-signing is You know, I tell people in order to avoid such problems, you know, we recommend first and foremost, not co-signing. All right. I know it's tough and I know, you know, but listen, you have to protect your well-being and your credit because like we talked about in the beginning of this show, credit can run your life in the U.S. Literally. I mean, we're getting to the point where your FICO score is your everything. It's the way that you get your car insurance. It can be an algorithm that they're going to use for health insurance. It's a risk assessor. So the last thing you want to do is give someone access to your particular risk assessor and ruin it for you for the next three to five years. So um, listen, if you are really wanting to help a family member or a friend and you're willing to take the loan out in your name, make sure that you're the one that's making the payments and just be be uh, reimbursed by the person um, that you're taking the loan out for. If they're late, no biggie, because they're just late with you. But if they were late and marked up your credit, you'd be really upset. So make sure that you're receiving the alerts or the statements, and you can provide copies to your family member in the event that the debt is something that they can write off or they need to include it in their tax returns, things of that nature. So again, I think it's really important that you know you have a plan. This is something that we also talk about with premarital counseling, credit counseling conversations is that we have to tell our other spouse, listen, I know that you love your family. I know that you love your friends, but I want to make sure that you know and understand that where I stand is I don't want to co-sign for anyone. Okay. I don't want to co-sign for your sister's new home that she wants to get. The other reason why I don't want to co-sign is let's just say that you were to co-sign for your sister's new home. Now you're going to have all of that debt on your credit report. And when you go to buy a home, the lender may say, oh no, you already have $700,000 worth of outstanding credit that you're paying on and your particular income can't handle another $700,000. So it's really important that we know and understand it's not just about saying, hey, no, I'm not willing to do this because I'm a jerk. No, it's not because you're a jerk. It's because you're being responsible and you're saying, listen, I really care about my financial future and I care about being a good human. And if it's really, really important for you to co-sign for someone, now you have the remedy to do so. You can go ahead and buy the car, but I wouldn't buy a home or any big purchases. Make sure that it's just something small. But if you have to do it and you've got to get your mom or your dad a car or something like that, make sure that you're in the driver's seat. You're the one that's making the payments. You know what's going on. And hey, you're monitoring your credit. Okay, so moving right along to the last piece of information that I want to give uh, regarding premarital is maintaining separate credit identities from your spouse, partner, or business. And guess what, guys? We're going to be talking about business credit and why it's important to maintain separate credit assets from your business and you personally. But the reason why it's really important to maintain separate credit identities is in the event, unfortunately, that divorce is eminent. Okay? Divorces can be really messy, they can be really tough. And I've seen so many situations happen to couples 
and unfortunately it affects the children. So it's really important that you just maintain those separate credit identities because in the event of divorce and that unfortunate process, it's much easier on your credit because you've never commingled your credit. You're on nothing together and you don't have to worry about that other spouse, unfortunately, messing up anything uh, once you're not together any longer. The other reason is uh, in the event of death. Now, unfortunately, this happens, you know, we live and we die. So the thing is, is that unfortunately, I have had the pleasure actually of working with a lot of widows and they had no idea the different credit cards that their spouse had. I was even talking to a young widow uh, where her husband was the main breadwinner. And unfortunately, she had no idea how much debt they were in. And she said to herself, you know, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he kept a smile on his face every day in the midst of this debt and in the midst of this chaos. So not only is it important to maintain separate credit identities, but it's also uh, really important to talk and understand what kind of debt you have as a couple. Because although you are maintaining separate credit identities, the debt you still have together. So if you don't know how much a debt your spouse has and something happens, you can be left holding the bag. And in this particular situation, this widow unfortunately had to file bankruptcy because she was a housewife her whole entire life and had no idea all of the bills and debt that were on their plate. So another reason why it's important to keep separate credit identities. The other reason that we talked about before is illness. You know, someone can become very ill. They can be incapacitated in terms of working. And if it's the spouse that makes most of the money, that can be a situation. And again, the reason why we want to keep separate credit identities is in these events, you have the other one to fall back on. The other reason is loss of income. So you can sit down and say, okay, you know what? Your income's a little rocky right now. So we need to look at our credits. We need to look at our credit cards and we need to figure out which one of us can take the fall. Okay. I've seen many times where even in marriages, one spouse has to file bankruptcy and the other doesn't have to. And then once again, you can continue to live off of the other spouse. And then the other thing is loss of property. So this is a really big one. You don't have to actually be on the loan in order to own property. As long as you're on the title of that particular property, you still own just as much as your other spouse, unless it's in written form and there's a legal document in title where it says that your spouse only owns 10% of this property or whatnot. But you don't have to be on a mortgage loan in order to own a home. I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with people that say, well, I don't own the home unless I'm on the loan. No, that's not true. As long as you're on title of the home, you own the home just as much as your spouse. And the reason why I say this is really important for just one of the spouses to have the home on your credit is in the event of a loss of property or foreclosure. If this happens, you have the other spouse to fall back on and go and rent or buy another piece of property. So really important stuff. Again, guys, it's really important that when you're deciding to jump the broom, uh, crush the, uh, you know, 
the the light bulb muzzle toff, you know, do any of the above and you're 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 just taking the next steps in life and you're getting married. It's really important for you to have a plan. It's important for you to sit down with your significant soon to be other and talk about money. Money can be a really tough subject to talk about, but it's super, super important to the longevity of your relationship. There's so many things that are important to the longevity of your relationship, but money, finance, and credit is at the top of the list. That is really the number one reason for divorce. It's the number one reason for bankruptcies, and it's the number one reason for illness. Make sure that you have a plan or else you plan to fail. My name is Angela Bassard. This is Your Credit Today, and I'm out.